Yeah, as Mark said, my name is Ryan, and I have the honor of diving into God's Word with you today. Um, and I'm kind of sad to be to be finished up with Matthew. Matthew's been been really great. Um, Jesse, I hear an echo. Do you hear that? Okay. Um, yeah, and so it's 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 funny because Christmas is this week, but we're looking at the resurrection today. It's kind of a right side up kingdom, as our friend Jared said a few weeks ago. Um, <laughs> But yeah, so um, if you want to turn with me to Matthew 28, we will be camped out there today. Um, before we dive in, I just want to share a quick story with you. So I grew up in South Florida, and if you know anything about South Florida, you know that it is surrounded by water everywhere. And so I, growing up as a child, I loved to fish. Any opportunity I had a chance I would go fishing. If I could go fishing offshore in a boat, that was like the most ideal. But I just loved fishing after school, on the weekends, whenever. And my dream has always been to catch a blue marlin. A blue marlin is just this massive sport fish. has a big fin on its back with a big bill. And I love it because it's, it, they're huge. They can be like 2,000 pounds. And they're beautiful. They're 12 feet long. And... It's like a dream for, for most fishermen to catch a blue marlin. Well, about three years ago, my wife and kids and I went on a trip to the Bahamas with um, my parents and sister. And during that trip, because the rest of my family loves to fish as well, we fished almost every day. And it was great. It was awesome. And we, we heard, had heard about this, this new area that we were going to go try to check out in the Bahamas that we were fishing. It was one of the last days that we were there. And so we were all pretty excited because we heard that there's been some big fish caught in this area. And so the next, that night we're all really excited. And, um, I went to bed that night and I woke up in the middle of the night with the absolute worst stomach bug. Like I, I felt like a freight train had just hit me. Like it was awful. And I would say I woke up the next morning, but I didn't wake up because I was already up and I was, it was just, it was the worst. Not only was the stomach ache bad, but the fact that I was, I was like mourning that I couldn't go fishing. So my wife, just chipper as can be, says, oh, I'll, I'll take your spot. I'll go with your dad and your sister. And I think you can probably guess the end of the story. You can... So that's the junior varsity team catching a 350-pound blue marlin, and I am not on the boat. I am not the photographer, and it was uh, just to see the joy on their face when they pulled back into the dock to share this news, that they, what they had just pulled in. And I, I wanted to be happy for them, but <laughs> it's pretty hard. Um, yeah, and I think the, what, where the joy came from for them was that it was almost like they had been on this great journey that I hadn't been able to, to be a part of. And so I share that story with you this morning because I believe that King Jesus is inviting us into an opportunity that is infinitely greater than you or I could ever imagine. That it will produce more joy in our hearts and in our souls infinitely. Because remember, Christ, he died what we looked at last week, he died. But then what we're looking at this week is that he rose and he's been given all authority. And so Jesus is the supreme, the most supreme being of all. And he says that there is nothing that will bring you greater joy than joining me on this mission. 
So I have two aims this morning um, in the teaching. First aim is that we would be filled with awe and worship at the lordship and authority of Jesus. And the second aim is that we would hear the call of God and that we would give our lives to the spread of the gospel among the nations. So if you want to turn with me to Matthew 28, unless you're already there, um, I will read the whole chapter for us and then we'll, we'll dive in. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the woman, the women, do not be afraid for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here for he has risen as he said, come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed and ran quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples and behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priest all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, tell people that his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the father and of the son and of the Holy spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So as we see from, from this text, especially the passage between verse 11 and verse 15, is that the, the Jews specifically could not imagine a reality where Jesus rose from the grave. They did not expect this to happen. And even much of the world today could not imagine a reality of someone actually physically rising from the grave. So what would the implications be for us if Jesus had not risen from the grave? Because the Jews are trying really hard to cover this thing up, as we see. So we know that if Jesus had not if he had not risen from the grave, then believing in this, we would be complete fools. Like we would be the dumbest people on earth for believing in Christ, for believing a word that he said, for believing and trusting in the gospel, we would be fools for believing it if Christ had not risen. And more than that, like this word, this word is, is trash 
if Christ had not risen. We should not believe a word that, that Jesus has said if he did not rise from the grave. Like, like that's, the, that's the weight of, of his resurrection is that every word that he spoke is a lie because he told us that he was going to rise from the grave three days later after he died. And lastly, you and I and everyone in here would still be dead in our sins and we would have zero hope of our personal resurrection that we have through Christ. There'd be no hope for us. It's not like we can earn, we can work hard to earn God's favor because Christ paid the full penalty of the weight of our sin and rose for it. It was like God's stamp of approval upon Christ and upon us for those who trust in Christ. And so like this changes everything if Christ rose from the grave but many skeptical scholars will say, you, well, you, you, can't, you can't use the Bible to prove the Bible. But what we know and, and what Mark preached on last week is that we have historical, factual evidence that Christ did die by crucifixion. Atheist scholars will claim that he died by crucifixion. We know that that is historically, factually true, that he died by crucifixion. We know that he was buried in a tomb Right? And, and, and then from, from that point, we just see all these eyewitnesses who actually saw Christ after he had died. After he had died, three days after he had died, he had risen. And then he's seen by the two Marys after he had risen. And we know that he appeared to the disciples, to Peter and James, and to the, to the eleven. And in 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 3, it says, Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the 12, and then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive. And this is Paul writing this, who never had a face-to-face encounter with with Christ before he had died, obviously Christ came to him, knocked him off his horse, but Paul, Paul is interacting with people who are eyewitnesses to the risen Christ. So if, if Jesus did actually, if he physically rose from the grave, the implications for this are startling. And, and Jesus knows this because the words that he, he tells to the disciples in verse 18 is that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That authority would not have come if he would not have risen. That's why I think it's so important for us to see that the resurrection comes before the Great Commission. Because if we didn't have the resurrection, then then evangelism and missions would be totally in vain. And it would honestly be dumb. Like, what, what ground would we have to stand on if Christ had not risen? And so we, we gather here this morning based on, on the truth and the belief that Christ did rise. That's why we're gathered here this morning together as the body of Christ. Because we believe that Jesus is Lord and that his authority is certain. That should be the slide. So Jesus is Lord and his authority is certain. And we see that Jesus is Lord over life and over death. In John 10, 18, it says, nobody takes my life from me. I lay it down on my own accord and I take it up again. Jesus is Lord over life and over death. Jesus is Lord over sin. In 1 Corinthians 15, 17, it says, and if Christ had not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. 
But what's the truth, church? The truth is that Christ has been raised and we have been rescued and redeemed through his resurrection, through his death on the cross and resurrection. So Jesus is Lord over our sin. Jesus is Lord over the universe. Hebrews 1.3 says that he upholds the, the universe by the word of his power. Jesus is Lord over all creation. We have seen this constantly through the book of Matthew. That the winds and the waves obey him. He speaks and things respond. Jesus is Lord over fevers and leprosy and fig trees. All these things respond to the bidding of King Jesus. And Jesus is Lord over his church. He promises Peter in Matthew 16 that Peter on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And this one's key church. Like Jesus is Jesus is Lord over, over you and over me. And what that means is that I know that when I was, when I was younger, when I was starting to understand what it means to have faith, I decided one day to make Jesus Lord over my life. And and maybe that may be similar for you. Maybe you decided one day to make Jesus Lord over your life. But the fact of the matter is that Jesus was Lord over your life long before you decided to make him Lord over your life. I can look outside and see that the sky is blue, right? The sky was blue long before I believed that the sky was blue. Jesus is Lord, whether you and I did not have a hand in that. He's the one who rose. We know that in Philippians 2, that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord before you and I decided to believe in that. So the question that we see in the first part of this passage, the question that comes up is not whether or not Jesus is Lord, but are we as a faith family, are we as brothers and sisters in Christ, are we going to submit to the Lordship of Jesus? I think that's the question he's got for us today. Because remember, he knows our ultimate joy. He knows where our supreme joy is going to come from. And so are we willing to give our lives to that? And Jesus is Lord over the nations. We see that here in in Matthew 28. But we also see it from Genesis to Revelation that God's plan is to draw the nations to himself. So Jesus is not only Lord, but Jesus is also worthy. Jesus is worthy of, of praise throughout the whole universe. And his praise is actually absolute. Like he will receive the praise of his glory. We see that in just beginning in Genesis 1, where God gives the command to man and woman. It says, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. God wanted his people to spread across this planet so that image bearers would be on every, on every country in the world so that his fame would be known so that his glory would be made known. We get to Genesis 12 and with Abram, God, God comes to this moon worshiping pagan and says, Abram, I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to bless you. Why would God bless Abram? So that through him, all the families of the earth will be blessed. God blesses Abraham. Says, I'm going to give you the, the, the greatest family. I'm going to give you the greatest name in order that all the nations, all the families of the earth will be blessed through you. And God gives the same covenant to Abram's son, Isaac, and then Isaac's son, Jacob. 
Because this is God's heart. God's heart is for the nations to know him. We get to Moses and the law in Deuteronomy 5. God says, keep the statutes, the laws, and do them. That wisdom and understanding will be in the sight of all peoples. God says, live holy, pure lives. So that when the nations look at my people, they will see a holy and pure and good God. Joshua 4, 23 says, As the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over, so that all the people of the earth may know the hand of the Lord is mighty, and that you may fear the Lord your God forever. So in, in Sunday school or wherever, we know that, that God saved his people from Egypt by, by delivering them through the Red Sea, Right? But there was, there was more to it than that, that God wanted to show the might of his hand so that all the peoples of the earth would know it. We get to the Psalms, starting in Psalm 2, verse 8. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. Psalm twenty-two twenty-seven says, And all the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you. Psalm 46, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in all the earth. Psalm 67, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us. That your ways be made known on earth in your saving power among all nations. As we sit here today, and we have been a very blessed church. Like God has, sh- has shown his face upon us. Why would he do that? Why would God bless us with resources and families and education and the homes that we have and all the resources that God has given you? Why would he do that? Is it so that we can enjoy them in and of ourselves? No, it is that his name would be known among the nations, Right? It is so, so that his saving power would be known among the nations. And it continues on. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. Isaiah and the prophets. We know that the, the prophets were continually teaching about this idea that, that God desires for the nations to know him and love him and serve him and worship him. Isaiah 42 says, sing to the Lord a new song, his praise from the end of the earth. We get this prophecy in Daniel, in Daniel chapter seven, about this coming king who will come, the son of man. It says, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples and nations and languages should serve him. In Malachi 1.11 says, for from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense will be offered to my name in a pure offering. For not my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. Have you heard it yet? Have you heard God's heart for the nations? Like God wants his name to be known among the nations. And that's, that's, that's the Old Testament. Like how much more do we see that throughout the New Testament with Paul and Acts and all these things. But then between the prophets and when Jesus was born, which is what we're celebrating this week. What do we know about Jesus coming into this world? We know that these prophecies of Daniel and Malachi, that they are coming true. That these prophecies are being fulfilled even at the birth of Christ. 
Because we've got to remember, if, if you have a nativity scene in your house, which I know most of us do, you know that there's, that there's three men there who we often refer to as wise men. Well, they're coming from the east. They're coming from pagan lands. They're coming from the nations. And what are they coming to do? They're coming to worship and serve the, this new king. They're coming to serve Christ. They're coming to worship him. And that's what we see in Matthew 2, is that these wise men, they come and they, they bow down before King Jesus, even, even as a baby. We know when Jesus' baptism that John calls out to the crowds and says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Not just the sins of Israel, not just the sins of his people, but the whole world. John knows what's going on here. John knows God's heart for the nations. In Matthew 21, when Jesus goes into the temple and starts flipping tables over and telling the money changers to get out, these people who are trading goods to get out. Why? Because these people are doing this in the, in the house of prayer for the nations. That this is where the nations, this is where Gentiles, people who are trying to come and seek God, are, are supposed to be gathering for worship and prayer. And Jesus wants none of it. Jesus wants no one to distract them from coming to know him. Because Jesus' heart is for the nations. In Matthew 24, 14, we see this beautiful promise from from Jesus where he says, in this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come. And here we are at Matthew 28 where we see Jesus taking his disciples up to a mountain. And if you've been with us with any length of time, you know that if Jesus takes People up on a mountain, he's about to tell them something really, really important, right? And his, and his first words are really important, and we should tune into him, that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. It really doesn't matter what comes after that. We need to listen clearly, because all authority in heaven and earth has been given to Christ. But the command that he gives us, is to go. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. See, these words, all authority in heaven and earth, have been given to me. If Jesus says anything after that, it is like an unleashing mechanism to send his church out for his glory. It doesn't matter what Jesus said after, after making that claim. It is unleashing us as a church to do whatever he asks because it will be to our fullest joy and satisfaction to obey King Jesus if he's been given all authority. So if there's anything that we have seen in the word today, it is not only God's heart for the nations, but it is that this mission, this, this call that Christ has, that it cannot be stopped. That Christ has already established it. He rose. And we know that, that there is not a drop of blood that Christ shed that will be in vain. Or that will be wasted. For, for the nations, will, every tribe, tongue, and nation will be saved. And, and they will bow the knee before King Jesus. So the question I have for, for Redemption Parker this morning is, is this a mission that we want to, that we want to see through? That we want to see to the end? Do we want to commit to, to, to seeing this mission through? Because like I just said, it is, 
guaranteed. Christ has won. And he is going to accomplish this mission with or without this church. And I, and I don't say that tritely. I don't say that as like, I mean, the truth is that he, he doesn't tell us to go or he doesn't invite us to join him in this mission because he needs us. He's asking us to go because he loves us. Because he just died on a cross and was raised and gave us this command because he knows that it will produce more joy and satisfaction in our heart than you and I could ever imagine. So I know many of you may have the question of, well, yeah, the nations, like that sounds like really far away and I have all these commitments here and and doesn't, doesn't Parker, doesn't Colorado, doesn't America need the gospel? Yes, yes, absolutely. Yes, the gospel needs to have a presence here. And and this church is doing a phenomenal job of making the gospel known. I mean, look at Secor yesterday. Like, that's amazing. So, yes, America, Parker, Colorado, they need the gospel. And and hear me, like, if, if God has his hand upon your life and has set you apart for his glory to be made known in your neighborhood or in your gospel community or in foster care or whatever context he's put his hand on you and called you to that, like there's not going to be anybody who's going to celebrate that more than I will. And this church, like we want to come around you. We want to be a part of what, what God is doing through you here. But if there's a restlessness in your heart, if there's a restlessness that you're feeling as you're hearing God's heart for the nations, that's not bad. Don't run from that. I believe that that, that is a spirit-induced restlessness. Like myself and the elders, like we want to come around you in this. We want the church to come around you in this and, and see what the Lord has for you. Don't run from that. But regardless of, of whether you're called to, the, to our neighbors or to the nations, like, let's join Christ in this mission. A pastor, J.D. Greer, um, out of North Carolina, says this quote, We only have this incredibly short span of our lives to live, to, sorry, we only have this incredibly short span of our lives to tell our friends, family, and the generation of souls alive on earth right now about Jesus. As the late Keith Green used to say, this generation of Christians is responsible for this generation of souls all over the world. We are their chance to hear. So whether it is our neighbors or the nations, let's join Christ in his mission. But because of of this word, because of Matthew 28, because of what we've already seen of God's heart for the nations, I want us to consider for a second the spiritual realities that are going on in other nations besides this one that we live in. The fact is that there are one billion Hindus between India, Nepal, Sri Lanka, who are bowing their knee before more gods than you and I could ever fathom, and not one of them is King Jesus who is worthy of all of their worship. There are one billion atheists, one billion atheists in countries like China and North Korea who have zero access to the gospel because it is completely closed. There are two billion Muslims in places like the Middle East and North Africa 
who are praying five times a day, taking a holy pilgrimage, praying once a month, or praying, praying for, or fasting for an entire month. And they're praying to a false God who does not, who's receiving worship, but Jesus is the only one who's worthy of it. Jesus is the only one who's worthy of all of their worship. And he's worthy of all of our worship. But church, these realities, these, these spiritual realities, they are, they are urgent because as J.D. Greer mentioned, like this is our time, this is our generation to make much of Christ across the face of the earth. So whether it's here or there, but what would it look like for your family to commit to giving to the spread of the gospel among the nations? I'll tell you, we have a phenomenal opportunity to do that today with our, with our friend, Jared, go see him in the back. Like, but, but not only that, I, I don't want this to just be something where you pull a checkbook out this Sunday. Like, how can we really embrace this mindset of giving sacrificially for the sake of the nations, for the sake of Christ's name among the nations? What would it look like for you to spend time daily or weekly praying that unreached peoples would be reached with the gospel? And what would it look like for us? This has been a, a prayer of ours for a while. Like, what would it look like for us as a faith family to send you out on mission for the sake of Christ? So we know that Jesus is Lord. We know that Jesus is worthy. And lastly, that Jesus is near and his presence is powerful. The last line in the gospel of Matthew reminds us of that. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now I have not met, I have not met a Christian who wouldn't believe that. I believe that every Christian in the world, no matter where you're at, I believe that every Christian in the world would believe that Jesus is with you in one way or another. So why, why would Jesus be repetitive here and, and show us that, that, he is, that he is with us? I believe that it is because that we, would, we will never truly experience the power of the presence of Christ until we are fully in our lives or in the church, until we are fully committed to this mission that Christ has. If we're willing to lay our lives down for the sake of this mission, I promise you Christ will never feel closer. And that, that will stir in you a love and a joy in your heart that you, that you and I have never experienced before. And as I close here, I just want to remind us of this beautiful promise that we get in, in the first chapter of Matthew and Matthew one. And is the, the reason that we celebrate this coming King this week it says in Matthew 1, 23, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us, right? And we sing songs about Emmanuel all season long. And what we're asking for when we sing that song is that Matthew 28 would become a reality in our, li- in our lives, that we would ask Jesus to be with us Wherever we go, whether we go from this church building and we are on mission for Christ, we're telling Christ that we want to live on mission and we want him to be with us. Because church, the beautiful thing is, is that God has put his spirit in your heart and he has made you for this. Jesus died for your sins and he rose to give you and I victory 
over sin and death so that every tribe, tongue, and nation and people would worship him. So let's, let's join this resurrected king in, in his mission. Let me pray for us. Oh, Father, we know that you are passionate about your glory. And God, your promises are, are good and they are something that we um, can bank on, God, that Jesus will receive the glory that is due to your name. That every tribe, tongue, and nation will bow the knee before you and worship you. And go, God, so I, I pray that this, that this text would become a reality in our lives, that we would be filled with awe and worship of Jesus. And that we would bank our lives on the, on the victory we have and the victory you have in this mission, God, that, that it will happen, that it is guaranteed that Christ has won. So we love you. We pray this all in the name of Jesus.